0: James chapter 1 verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It's a fact of life, folks. Everyone struggles with temptation. Everyone. Whether it's fighting the urge to eat a second piece of cake, fudge a little on your tax return, lie to your spouse about where you were and what you were doing, steal a lustful glance, not tell your boss the whole story, temptation to sin is all around us. Well welcome to the Point of Purity Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Etner, author, national speaker, and purity coach for the Pure Man Ministry. This is episode 64, and in this episode, we're gonna take a look at temptation. So buckle up and hang on, because ready or not, here we go. Usually along with the temptation comes the desire. To blame someone or something else, right? Well, if my boss weren't so demanding, if my wife would just give me a little more leeway, if that woman or that man didn't dress so provocatively, and we argue and we argue and we argue, our tendency is to feel like we have no option. God has somehow once again put me into this sticky situation. I opened this episode by quoting James one thirteen. Let me read to you James 1.13-15. Listen closely. When tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James 1, 13-15 Okay, so why read you this text? Well, we need to park here for a few minutes and consider what God is telling us. First, in verse 14, James uses the words, Dragged away. He says that you're tempted when, by your own evil desire, you're dragged away and enticed. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. I mean, when you think of someone being dragged away, what comes to mind? It almost gives the idea that you're being kidnapped, taken while kicking and screaming against your will. But that's not what this phrase means here. This is not something that happens to you unawares and against your will. James is actually using a fishing term here, a term that's literally translated drawn away as opposed to dragged away. It's a term that refers to being lured away from a place of safety. Now, it's been a long time, a long time since I've gone fishing. But if I remember correctly, the purpose of the lure is to disguise the deadly hook. It provides an enticement to the fish. So, think with me for a moment. What would happen if a fisherman simply tossed a bare hook into the water without ever adding a lure? The answer? Absolutely nothing. You see, the lure, and I remember when I went fishing, it was usually a big, juicy, squirming earthworm, that lure is wrapped tightly around the hook, and then it's placed into the water. That unsuspecting fish, swimming merrily on its way, catches a glimpse of something attractive out of the corner of its eye. Intrigued, it changes the direction it was swimming. It wants to check it out. Cautiously, at first, it begins to play with the lure. Finally, convinced that it poses no threat, and it is really appealing, it sucks in the lure. But it very quickly spits it back out, just in case. And then when nothing bad happens, and the taste of that juicy delicacy is being savored on that fish's tongue, it sucks in the lure. Again, it holds it for just a moment longer, enjoying the taste. Its brain cells are rapidly firing in the excitement of this amazing discovery. But, cautiously, it spits it back out, just in case. Then when nothing bad happens, it sucks in the lure one final time, and it quickly speeds off. It embeds that disguised, deadly hook deep into its mouth. The lure has done its job. The result? Death. So, here's my question for you to consider. What is the lure that draws you away? The answer is found in James 1.14. You see, the verse tells us that we are lured, we are drawn away by our own evil desires. In other words, there is a particular lust, a particular craving that you have for sinful pleasure, and you allow yourself to think about how to satisfy it. You see, it always begins innocently enough as a tiny little tickle in the back of your mind. Your thought process is considering it. You're weighing out the pros and the cons. Should I? Shouldn't I? What happens if I do? What happens if I don't? What's the risk versus the pleasure that's promised? Then, as that thought becomes stronger, it creates within you a desire to put that thought into action. And, just like the fish, you cautiously play around with it for a little while. Then, when nothing bad seems to happen... That's when you selfishly suck it in and you try to speed off without getting caught. But when you do, wham! I have a question for you here. Why even fool around with it? Why allow your mind to even think about it? Why let it, even for a microsecond, divert your attention away from God? Again, the answer is found in James 1 verse 14. You see, it entices you it appeals to your sinful fleshly desires your longing to ha- have your 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 frustrations your stress your your loneliness your boredom appeased and and to have some ease and pleasure in life and so that enticement brings a type of excitement arousal even comfort so you think about it hey thinking about it feels good Thinking about it increases the anticipation. Thinking about it develops the desire for fleshly comfort and pleasure. So you choose to let your mind dwell on it, just a little bit here, a little bit there, until eventually you act upon those thoughts. Remember, and we've said this many times in many of the episodes in this podcast, what you think will become what you do. You see, when you entertain wrong thoughts, those thoughts will eventually produce wrong actions. For, for example, you allow your mind to dwell on improper sexual thoughts. Maybe you were looking at a, a Facebook page or a YouTube video. It wasn't porn, it wasn't anything deeply sexual, but there was some arousal going on there. You, you're, you're thinking improper sexual thoughts. You will eventually act upon those thoughts. You'll go to the internet and visit adult-oriented websites. You'll look upon another person in an improper way. Maybe you develop an unrealistic expectation in your marriage or, or in the workplace with a co-worker. You may even seek out an extramarital relationship. You might even commit a crime, all in the name of sexual lusts. If you entertain prideful, king-me thoughts, Your actions will eventually be self-focused, self-purpose, geared to draw all the attention to King Me for the sole purpose of pleasing self. I want, I need, I deserve, I desire, I have to have, I can't live without. It's all about me, usually at the expense of everyone else. If you entertain thoughts of fear, anger, anxiety, bitterness, pride, greed, the list goes on and on. Your actions will fall into step accordingly. Now, on the flip side, if you focus your thoughts on glorifying God, pleasing your Heavenly Father, worshiping Him, serving Him, honoring Him, what will happen? Remember what you think Becomes what you do. You will end up giving God the glory in everything you say and everything you do. Why? Because that's where your thoughts were. So James is telling us that we sin because we see the lure of some type of sinful pleasure. It entices us. We think about it. We toy around with it. We play with the idea. And then the result is if we don't take captive those thoughts, the result is that we commit a sinful act. And that in turn leads to what James says is death, separation from God. You know, one of Satan's major battle tactics is that of keeping the Christian thinking that they're defeated, that they're still in bondage to sin. Think with me, when the devil accomplishes that task, he has succeeded in diminishing your potential for the kingdom of God. If he can get you to feel defeated in your sin, to believe that you're never going to change. I mean, after all, I'm only human, and I still have a sinful nature. If he can get you to believe that, then you will eventually give up trying. Why? Because what you think becomes what you do. And you will learn to accept your sinful behaviors, the sinful aspect of your life, as normal, as natural. And you might even begin to embrace it and welcome it. Listen, my friend, anytime, anytime you choose to not deal with a sin issue in your life, it will, it will, mark my words, it will ultimately lead to a hardened heart. A hard heart happens when you hear God's word. You've read God's word. You've been taught God's word. You believe that what God says is indeed truth, and yet, repeatedly, you choose to do nothing about it. Every time you do this, every time you hear God's word, you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, but you reject it. Every time you do this, your heart hardens ever so slightly, almost imperceptibly. The temptation, though, becomes stronger. And as it becomes stronger, you fight it less. The sin has a stronger hold in your life. And the conviction that you had been feeling over that sin begins to lose its grip. Every time you recognize a sin in your life, every time you feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and yet do nothing about it, you're developing a hard heart. You're becoming less sensitive. As First Timothy 4, two says, your conscience is being seared as with a hot iron and mark my words over time you will become callous to the promptings of the holy spirit he won't stop trying to convict you but you'll become less and less aware of that conviction you will become callous to the promptings of the holy spirit you'll suppress his fire if you will it's it's kind of like just closing the door on a lantern no longer allowing the light to shine i want to encourage you my friend listen to me there is hope the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he is confident of this, that he, referring to God, who began a good work in you, referring to your salvation, will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ, Philippians 1, 6. You see, my friend, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, Philippians two thirteen. I'm sure you're familiar with Jeremiah 29.11. It tells us that God has a plan for you, a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. You don't understand what that means? It means he will not allow sin to thwart his perfect purpose for you. Yes, you may choose to sin, but he won't let you get away with it. He will never, ever leave you to the beast. So don't allow yourself to get bogged down in trying to figure out how to have victory over sin in your life. It's not about the how, it's about the who. Focus your attention on growing in your relationship with God. God's the only one who's able to strengthen you to do all things, Philippians 4.13. You know, I like to put it this way. Don't focus on the victory, follow the victor. Well, if you'd like to learn more about today's study, or or if you're interested in learning more about our ministry, I challenge you to visit our website, thepuritycoach.com, and you will find a multitude of resources, books, videos, uh, little vignettes, uh, recommended reading for passages of scripture. There's just so much on our website that we've made available to you to help you in your pursuit of purity. So, again, that website is The Purity Coach, all one word, thepuritycoach.com. One of the resources that I've been recently highlighting for you is my book entitled Extreme Mind Makeover How to Transform Your Sinful Thoughts and Habits into Patterns of Life Pleasing to God. Remember, what you think becomes what you do. So, how do I take those sinful thoughts and get rid of them and replace them? with proper thinking, God-honoring thinking, thinking that is pleasing to God so that my behavior, my attitude, my demeanor, my words, my actions, my choices are all about glorifying God. Well, this book, Extreme Mind Makeover, takes you on a journey through the Bible. Uh, there's somewhere close to 400, 400 plus scripture verses in this small book, all taking you into the Word of God to get your mind off of self, off of King Me, and onto God and and how to glorify Him. So this, this book takes you on a journey through the Bible to examine what God has to say about your thoughts, about your words, about your actions, and the influence and the impact that your heart has upon all those. In fact, much of what you've heard in today's episode, in fact, over the last couple of episodes, have been taken directly from this book, Extreme Mind Makeover. So if if I've piqued your curiosity, go to our website, thepuritycoach.com, and and click on Resources, and you can see all the different books that that we've written, including Extreme Mind Makeover. Or go directly to Amazon.com and purchase your copy of Extreme Mind Makeover today. Well, if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, let me encourage you to do so so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And would you invite others to listen as well? Help us grow our audience. Well, until next time, this is author, speaker, and purity coach Steve Etner reminding you that if you're going to glorify God in your everyday living, he must first be glorified in your every moment thinking.